0: Welcome, Paul Young, everybody. Thanks. You did it. <laughs>
1: oh, fantastic. There is, there is a baby here, a little girl, that I signed a book, and I sometimes I'll sign, Grace Sings Your Name, and, and they were pregnant, and they named their baby Gracie because of that. Ha 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 Like it doesn't get any better. Forget movies and stuff. I mean, like, come on, right? So, um, oh, I got to tell you a funny story about uh, March third. The movie originally was supposed to come out um, November eighteenth, and then uh, Mel Gibson started getting in the mix, and he wanted Hacksaw Ridge to come out in November. And Hacksaw Ridge, main character, one of the main characters is Sam Worthington, who plays Mackenzie in the Shack. And, uh, and you heard of Mel, right? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Just check, just check it. That Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. So he carries considerable, you know, uh, clout, yes. And uh, so uh, we deferred, and, uh, which was, it turned out beautifully because we needed the, the time anyway, just in terms of the editing process. Um, but Lionsgate looks around for a date, for this movie, and they need, uh, they think, well, we stepped out of the Thanksgiving Christmas, but so maybe before Easter, so they just land arbitrarily on March 3rd, which if you think about it, is the only 3-3 combination in the whole year for a movie on the Trinity.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: How cool is that, you know? <laughs> yeah, because I'm convinced that details are always loaded you know that that all the miraculous happens inside timing you know timing is the sandbox of the holy spirit and uh i just think that's just so cool <laughs> <laughs> hi
0: <laughs> where were we uh, Let's see. That, just for curiosity's sake in in the building here we're welcoming everybody online but in the building here how many of you were here for the first session and you're getting to okay cool how many are just coming in so just we are, awesome ah oh, well great i'm glad where were you <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I have got to be honest with you, Paul. let me tell you a little bit about Orchard Grove family. The eleven fifteen crowd isn't exactly the most timely crowd in America. So I was a little nervous if we started the interview at the beginning that it would be you and I talking. Hey brother, I
1: grew up in Asia. You're lucky I'm here today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so all right, a topic. Um we, were, we, we hit on this in the car last night, just briefly, but let's talk about this. Um, the, the, quote, theology, right? The book's fiction, but, but you're laying out some ideas, yeah, right? Yep. But it's, you, we, we've talked about this. You've taken criticism, but almost it's not
1: almost all from my own people. Yeah. Well said. Okay, so, so, the, so my first protesters were in Orlando, right? right. I mean, so I, I get there. You have to understand, when I wrote the story, I was writing... Um, I was working three jobs and I wrote most of it on a commuter train uh, which gave me 40 minutes each way trying to get it done for Christmas as a Christmas present for our kids and made the 15 copies at Office Depot so so a couple of years later I arrive in Orlando and I'm speaking like to 2000 people and there's uh, there's these guys out there with the placards and the bullhorns and I'm thinking like I asked somebody he's like is there like an anti-abortion rally going on and and he goes no, they're here for you. <laughs> I, th- I got protesters? Like, how cool is that? <laughs> you know? Like, my kids are going to love this. So uh, I'm thinking, like, I was shipping out soldering tips and cleaning toilets, and I got protesters. Like, wow. So it was like 100 degrees out, and their sweats pouring down, you know? So I felt a little bad for them. And so I took them, I got this whole case of water they gave me at the venue. And I took it out and I start handing the guys water. And a few minutes later, one of them turns to me and says, so do you work here? I go, no. He goes, why are you handing us water? I said, well, I wrote the book you're mad about. (laughs) He goes, what? So they, they all gather around and we talk for 15 minutes, you know, and I come to find out that not one of the protesters had read the book. Totally my people, right? Because I grew up modern evangelical fundamentalist, and we're addicted to being right. We don't have to actually read something to be an expert in it. So, uh, you know... So part of the, part of the pushback on this, um, and it, it has not bothered me at all. In fact, I'll, I'll, well, it has bothered me in one way, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But generally speaking... Um, most of the change that's happened in my life has come because something upset upset normalcy, right? Because when things are going well, you don't really make changes or think about what you're doing or going through. And, uh, and a lot of my journey has been the challenge that questions have brought into my life. And I grew up in a world where questions were tantamount to rebellion. I don't know if any of you got quoted the verse, rebellion is worse than witchcraft, you know, but uh, I got it a few times. And... Uh, but questions over the over my lifetime have become my friends, and it always you end up in this thing where your head your heart leaps for something, but your head then engages, and you 're in kind of a conflict about it. Um, I remember the uh, denver uh, president Denver Seminary president wrote this article about the shack, and he said i don 't care what kind of Pharisee you are, but didn 't if, if you read that scene where Papa comes through the door and picks Mackenzie up and spins him around." didn't you even for just a second want to be inside that embrace, Mm. right? So, so much of this is, boom, it hits you here. And when you see the movie, it's going to do exactly the same thing. It hits you here. And then all of our paradigms and our conditioning and all that, it just gets into this, uh, and we got to work it out. And that's part of being human. The other thing is that I'm at a place in my life. I'm almost 62 years old. And... And it took me 50 years to get comfortable inside my own skin. And a lot a lot of that had to do with the damage that I experienced as a child and the losses and the indoctrination of a very rigid sense, um, distant, uh, disappointed sense of the, the character of God. And I had to work it out. And um, But I, I know who I am. Uh, like, it took a lot of hard work. Mackenzie's weekend... And the shack represents 11 years for me of deconstructing my whole world and then rebuilding it. And um, uh, so when people come to me and they're upset, I know now that they are not coming to tell me about me because they don't know me. So they're coming to tell me in the only language they know how about who they are and what matters to them and what they're afraid of and if I'm not at risk I can step into that circle because how are we going to deal with the conflict issues if everybody is is all defensive about stuff I don't have to be right about everything and that took a long time because I grew up with so much shame that I had this little perfectionist layer covering it up and if anybody tapped through it boom fight or flight you know so um, I I love this engagement and and you know, f- frankly, those who have called it heresy and told their people not to read it have probably sold me more books than almost anybody else, <laughs> right? Because where the law comes, sin abounds, <laughs> right? And, uh, and the, the one time that is, the one issue that, is, that has been difficult, and it's not so much now, um, but my kids were at a fragile stage and some of my people, Christians, exclusively, I can't think of one example that wasn't, um, when they realize that Paul doesn't have any secrets, so we can't dig anything up. Uh, he's you know, got no addiction, so they went after my kids. You know? And it's just that a lot of us, we don't know any better. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Jesus on the cross, and he, and he cries out. And remember, this is Jesus who said, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. And he says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And so you can hear the Father saying that too, right because Jesus says it, the Father is saying it, mm. they just don't know what they're doing, and that's that's our situation most of our lives and this this journey towards jesus and into jesus and and uh, um, understanding the character of God, dealing with our losses and our damage and uh, our addictions and all of that this This is a journey that is about learning how to see and un, and know clearly and most of the people that we end up needing to forgive, they didn't know any better. They brought what they had. And, um, and, and I remember that. Every person I meet was once a child. Something happened. They're, they're like this for a reason. And if I'm not defensive, maybe I can be helpful as part of a conversation that will allow them to move toward healing and freedom. And I think the whole world needs this. And um, and and we get to participate in it. Yeah. So one of the hardest
0: things to not be defensive when, when someone's attacking you, and that was a part of your healing. Um, yeah. I, I, two lies to me. This is to my perspective, Paul. But two lies that the book exposes: the lie that he believes about God, and the lies that he believes about himself. No doubt. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Those are
1: lies that some of us live with or have to wrestle out. Or, All of us do. Right. You know, I've been thinking about something, uh, and so let me put it in this way. I don't believe that God is a religious being. You know, and you may have never thought about that, but think about this for a second. There was never a time where it was like, so which of the three of us is going to do communion this week? You know? Uh, uh, Holy Spirit, did you, do you have the order of service, or was God in charge of that? This? I mean, uh, you know, God has never been a religious being. This has always been about a circle of relationship, the great dance of mutuality without the loss of personhood. Jesus never becomes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never becomes God the Father. But because of that no loss of personhood, that means real authentic relationship and love has always existed and we were created in the middle of that. Well, that means if God is not a religious being, all religion is what we have brought to the table. Right? Now, here's the beauty, and this might help you with a couple different things, because it's it's like one of those lights that goes on for me. That means that Scripture, the Old Testament that we always wrestle with, because it seems that God is just kind of like this different person, and he some, somehow got saved during the 400 silent years before Jesus showed up, you know, and, uh, but if if this is a God and this is the other surprise who by nature submits see that's one of the accusations that I get is that some of us are are absolutely committed to a sense of hierarchy within God so that we can maintain a hierarchy among human relationships it's like we need that justification well there is none and that's been the Orthodox Christian or uh, Catholic Protestant Tradition from the beginning, there is no hierarchy in the Trinity, right? So there is not a valid justification for it among human relationships other than our need for control, right? But we don't know how to do it other than that. But God is a God who submits by nature, the cross being the profoundly greatest example of that, that God would submit to our torture device. You do know that God doesn't create torture devices and and uh, execution devices, right? You... God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. So if you've got a dark torture machine, it's not because God brought it to the table. God knew going into creation, and Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world, but it was by us, right? We brought that, and God submits to it in order to destroy its power and transform that Dark torture machine execution device into an icon and a monument of grace that is so precious we will wear it on our rings we will have it on our necklaces that's a torture device right but God has changed it which means there is nothing I can bring to the table that God doesn't climb into submit to it along with me. And then we will co-create because God will not heal me apart from my participation. He has too high a value and a view of humanity to force you into healing. But he will never leave you in the process of that either. And so this God who is not religious submits to our religion. And you've got this massively beautiful story throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures of how God submits to our boxes in order to climb into Mm. them and destroy them from the inside to set us free. Does that make sense? And suddenly our perspectives change. And you'll watch this Mm. because Jesus makes commentary on the scriptures. Remember that um, he's going along with the disciples and his disciples are all ticked off at this community of people that wouldn't receive them in. And by this time, these bunch of uneducated Fishermen and tax gatherers and stuff. They're feeling kind of like important, you know, because they're with Jesus and he's getting all this attention so now they're starting to be all self-justified on his behalf and And so they say to Jesus well, wow. you know, because they're they're into it now and they're quoting scriptures, right? They're quoting the Hebrew scriptures Do you think we should just call fire down from heaven on them and they're thinking like Jesus is going like great idea? <laughs> you know and they're talking about Elijah, right? When Elijah's in this situation, calls down fire from heaven and it's like this great story in the Old Testament. And so they're thinking like, wow, hey, you know, that's how we saw that whole event. So what do you think? And Jesus turns to them and says, you don't know what spirit you're of. And he's making a commentary on that Old Testament scripture, too, as well as saying, you guys, you don't you don't understand that this is not a kingdom like that. This is not about power. And this is not about at least that kind of power. This is about the power of love Mm. and the fury of love Mm. that is opposed to anything that hurts the ones God loves, which would be you and me, Mm. from being fully alive and fully free. Mm. So if God is not religious, then we have a a way out Mm. of religion. There's a great scene in the movie where and by the way, Av- Avraham Avivalush plays Jesus, and he is an actor from Tel Aviv. A Jew. Who would have thought? You know? Now, just to tell you how powerful paradigms are, I've gotten at least five emails from my people, right? modern evangelical fundamentalists, and they are my people, so watch out how you talk about them. So, but I've gotten at least five emails that say, How dare you make Jesus a Middle Easterner? I googled it <laughs> Jews are Middle Easterners and um, but there is this one scene where mackenzie they're walking on a on a, on a beach and, and Mackenzie says you know you're not quite like all the the religious stuff I learned growing up and Jesus he's they're walking and he's you see his face he goes religion it's too much work <laughs> and, and it's true not that relationship is not work because it certainly is but it's a whole different kind of work and uh, religion is just performance to some external standard relationship is entering a mystery and losing control uh, ask any married man here and uh, <laughs> so yes there's all this kind of movement inside both the book and the, and the movie yeah
0: you were telling the story earlier about your, your mom and, uh, and I think the, the time I heard you tell that story before you even told about her going to visit him oh. it, could you add that Yeah.
1: so I told the story about how my mom finally got past the, the, the fact that her son was a heretic and, uh, and she called me that on a phone call to my sister uh, because she couldn't deal with papa coming through the door as a large black African American woman I mean can you imagine anybody having a problem with that and, uh, oh yeah, white folk. They might, yes. Because <laughs> yeah. God is definitely that distant Gandalf with a bad attitude, God, right? And, uh, and we know he's white and we know he's a man, right? But uh, the truth is that the revelation of Scripture is that all maternity and all paternity originate in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And it's a spectrum, not a polarity. And uh, so <laughs> through this absolutely miraculous You'll have to get the tape or something. Um, story, if you haven't heard it, my mom got past that, and um, she saved <coughs> she saved a one pound baby boy when she was in nurses training in 1946. And that one pound baby boy, decades later, became the man that built the bridge she could walk across for her own son. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. So it's rather amazing. And Harold. This man is a senior pastor of the Anglican Church in Victoria, B.C., and where his father pastored in the 40s. And um, I have an aunt who went into nurses' training with my mom. Her name's Ruby, but she likes to be called Tess. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I think think it might be from a novel, Tess of the Durbanvilles. And uh, uh, so, but but she has always been in, in my, my mother's German Baptist conservative family uh, Ruby's been the wild child right she's the free spirit she's the one that's sort of like a cosmic vacuum cleaner kind of picks up everything along the way and, um, and she's my favorite aunt um, she took me to my first movie when it was totally against the rules Yeah, yeah you want to know what it is don't you yeah the king and I with Yul Brenner. yeah I know you could see his whole bald head and everything it was like right so my mom's been trying to lead Ruby back to Jesus for like 50 years and um, and uh, so this intersection between Harold had happened before the shack came out and then Harold actually was the one that built the bridge for my mom but one night my mom's visiting Ruby down in Victoria and uh and hesitantly says, uh, "Would you like to go to church tomorrow?" And Ruby goes, "Sure." And my mom says, "Yeah, I didn't think. Well, really? Yeah. Well, where would you like to go?" Ruby says, "I don't know. Hey, why don't we go hear Harold? Because Harold's the senior pastor of the Anglican Church. Now, we're from we're from evangelical, modern evangelical Protestant fundamentalists, right?" So there is a real kind of difference, right? It's one of those places that you go in. It's immediate. People spot. They know what, you don't know what you're doing, right? And uh, it's kind of like that joke. You know the difference between an Episcopalian and a Baptist, right? The, the Episcopalian will talk to you in the liquor store. Uh, so, <laughs> so <laughs> those are my people. <laughs> Be careful. So, so my mom and Ruby slip into the back row of this high Anglican church, long narrow pews all the way, you know, and it's semi-high or uh, order, a high church, which means that they have the robes and they have the censers and they you know, all this stuff. And immediately, a woman spots uh, my mom and Ruby and and slides in next to my mom and says, "I'll help you out, you know. I'll will t- I'll tell you when to stand and kneel and." dance and stuff. I don't think they dance, though. <laughs> but, but you get the idea. So they're sitting there. Harold is at the front. And Harold begins his homily, his sermon. And he's about halfway through, and he spots my mother. And he stops. And he says, folks, I, I need to tell you a story. There is a woman here. If it wasn't for her, I would not be alive. In fact, every person I have ever touched in my life she has touched through me and he tells the story of his birth this miraculous one-pound baby and how my mother against the dictates of the doctor in the hospital saves this one-pound baby baby's life in a time where one-pound babies didn't survive and he tells this story and introduces my mom and then he finishes his homily at the end of which they have communion at the front and people would go up for communion and the woman next to my mother mistakenly says I am so sorry dear but in the tradition of this con- congregation you have to be a member here to participate in communion and my mother's very gracious I'm so glad she wasn't sitting next to Ruby and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mother says it's totally okay I understand different faith traditions it's, it's okay and um, and Harold finishes serving communion, takes off the outer robe until he's just got his white smock. And he walks over and he picks up the bread and he picks up the wine. And he comes down the stairs and he walks all the way to the back. And he kneels down in front of my mom and in front of Ruby. And at that moment, it doesn't matter whether you're Anglican or Baptist or agnostic or... Confused or searching, it just doesn't matter. What matters here is a broken body and shed blood, life that is offered a way out of religion and damage. A God who climbs into the fact that we're lost and tells us, Yeah, I know, but I'm here and I'm not lost. Together, we can do this, right?
0: I, was, I heard that story almost 10 years ago, and I said, That's, that's what I want it to be. Absolutely. You know, because you like said we work in the boxes of our faiths or our traditions. Those are the boxes we work
1: in or yep. from.
0: And uh, I, I said, that,
1: that... Uh, uh, While I'm thinking about it, l- let me give you another example that I think pertains to this about how God climbs into our religion and destroys it from the inside out. God has never wanted sacrifice. Never that's never that's never been a part of God's plan right we brought that to the table and at the time of Abraham everybody on the planet believed in magic and sacrifice you know if you want to please the deity whoever it was whether you were in South America or Egypt or the Middle East or Africa you had to you had to do a a sacrifice and the highest one of them was child sacrifice and the story of Abraham and Isaac the story of him taking him up to the mountain is exactly that. God is climbing into Abraham's religion and giving him a demand that is coherent with his religion, and then he will violate it in such a way that it can destroy it. That story is not, contrary to the way I grew up as a missionary kid, evidence that God wants you to sacrifice your children on the altar of God's purposes. Right. That I'm is... I remember
0: you because I want you Please. to finish that, but I hope you heard... I hope you heard that segment. I hope you play it. I hope you replay it a hundred times what he just said. Because that explanation of that story helps you understand the myriad of other stories in the Scripture and the way that we approach it. So literally he's saying God enters the religion and destroys it from the inside out. It's an unbelievable, game-changing way of understanding and freeing you Absolutely. Understanding the Scripture. And I want to interrupt you. I want to make sure, like, we drive home like a peg. Thank you for that. And I'm going to do a shameless plug. Um, There's a guy named Tony Jones who wrote a book called Did God Kill Jesus? And he's going to be here on Palm Sunday. Come on. So mark down Palm Sunday because there's there's younger voices, and there's more and more people talking this way and helping us. Because some of you, it's your story. Go go for it. But but some of you grew up with, like, the Scripture, and you can't. It's like... You, so you don't understand it, but you can't like pry it out of your hands and it's fighting you. And, and it's not really what you believe in your heart, but his mom called him a heretic, you know what I mean? And so you you're afraid of being out and th- what he just taught you there in a sound bite was, is an unbelievably freeing concept. I
1: hope you play it over and over and over again. Cool. Please continue. So if, if you were to say to Abraham, uh, put Abraham on a scale of spirituality from a to Z where would you put him? You know, in terms of understanding God and understanding humanity, and under, you'd put him like A with a foot in B, right? right. Just getting started. Just getting started. And he's from Ur, of the Chaldees. There, are like, no churches there, no seminaries. There's a moon god and goddess worshiping center, right? There is nothing, but he has got a foot in B because he hears voices. right? He's in the middle of his religious community, and he hears a voice that says, get out of town, right? So he grabs all of his gods and stuff and packs everything up and his wives and everything, and he he gets out of town not even knowing where he's going. But he's got like a foot in B. So when God comes to meet you, where is God going to come? Because God is love. God's not going to come in Q or S or V and go like, what's your problem? Get over here, right? Because when we're in B, when we get to B, we think everybody in A is an idiot and everybody in C is nuts. It's true. Was, right? Yeah. Right? And so God's going to come. If we've got a foot in A and a foot in B, God's going to come in B with a foot in C going like, All right, come on. Come on. Take a step here. We're going to move forward. And, and I'm going I'm to help you move forward by telling you something about me that you didn't know. And that's going to rearrange your world. And, and so God meets him inside of this punitive retributive viewpoint that God needs to be appeased and needs sacrifice. Pull back for a second. You know how many prophets stood up and said, God doesn't want sacrifice. It's littered through there. It's like, I hate sacrifice. I mean, that's what it says. I hate it. Right. But oh no, we're caught up in it. Somebody's got to pay. So, hey, this is our whole system, and it's magic. If I can do it right, if I can sacrifice right, I get the right results. Sounds like having enough faith or, you know, tithing enough, doesn't it? And um, so it's like magic. And, uh, but that's the way that Abraham and the whole world thought. So God says, okay, sacrifice your son. And haven't you ever thought, like, what kind of a human being is he? That he's just going to turn around and kill his own son? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. I don't even care if God, if if that's who God is, I'm out of here. Right? Do you understand? So Abraham does it. Why? Because it is protocol. It is what everybody knows. And he gets to the point where the knife's coming down, and God says, stop. And then he says, let me tell you something about me that you didn't know. And it's the first time that Jehovah Jireh is used in Scripture. I am the God who provides. If you need a sacrifice, I will provide myself. Think about that. If you need something, I will provide it. Right? But just... And he goes like, so, but Abraham, I know you're stuck in this whole thing, so I'll... He said, there'll be a lamb that will come, right? But I'm going to give you a goat. Fine, take a goat. Right? You need something because you can't get your mind around this, I'll give you a goat. Fine. Right, But then the prophecy is that there was one coming who would cause the sacrifice to cease. And the book of Hebrews comes along and says, don't you realize that's Jesus? He came to get us out of this retributive, punitive thing. And this is not new doctrine. This is early church. The early church didn't believe that God the Father killed his son. We got that somewhere along the line and lost the plot. And that's what Tony's going to tell you about on, Tony, right? Tony Jones, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. he's going to tell you about on Palm Sunday. So the beauty of this is that God climbs into this, destroys it from the inside out, and becomes the sacrifice that will completely eradicate any sense if you've got a mind that is opened at all to the idea that God needs to pour out his wrath on his son and turn his face away from him, which is totally something the early church would not have accepted, and we shouldn't either. But we've been indoctrinated with that idea. That God turned his face away from Jesus. That, that God abandoned his son on the cross. And we, we actually believe that. Surprise, it's not true. Right? Oh, do you want evidence for it not being true? One of the beautiful things in the movie is at different points you will see nail scars on all three wrists. Papa, Jesus... Ansariu, the Holy Spirit. And this is the beauty. You cannot take Jesus, who is fully God, as well as fully human, but fully God, and somehow divide God away from him at the point of the cross right? You can't do that without an absolute violation. And in our mentality, we've got God the Father who is the antiseptic one, the one that needs to be appeased, the one that, um, that we need to sacrifice to. And Jesus provides himself so that God the Father doesn't beat the hell out of us like he does him. You understand? How crazy is this? And, and who knows where the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit trying to protect the, uh, the son from the abusive father? Or is the Holy Spirit just silently standing by being an enabler for the abusive father? I mean, our theology is so messed up about the character of God. So people say, well, what about my God? My God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Do you know where that comes from? It's a hit song. <laughs> it is. It's a hit song and and it start the hit you know when you hear a hit song and somebody sings the first line and all of a sudden your mind is going through the whole song jesus cries out on the cross psalm 22 and psalms are hit songs and psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross and jesus cries out this psalm and the first line of it is my god my god why have you forsaken me guess what it says halfway through the hit song see people don't they don't read the whole song You know, because we don't know it. We're not Jewish enough, you know? So, and you know how that psalm ends? It ends, and he finished it. That's how it ends. But halfway through, it says this. You, God, you do not despise the affliction of the afflicted. Listen carefully. Nor will you turn your face from him. And when he cries, you'll hear. See, Jesus knows the whole song. If he thought for a second he was actually, ontologically abandoned by the Father, he would have never said, and into your hands I commit my spirit. Who is he talking to? Right? Mm -hmm. He knows the whole song. Why does he feel absolutely abandoned? Because he enters my darkness. He becomes sin for me and for you. And in our darkness, we believe we're alone. And our cry has been, my cry has been most of my life. God, where are you? I can't hear you. I can't feel you. I can't sense you. Where are you? And Jesus going to the cross knows that he's by going into our darkness, he's going to feel this massive separation. Even though it's not real, it will feel real. He is going to enter that because he's got to go down to where we're lost. And he says, "Will this? can you get this cup? Because he has never known a moment of his existence prior to the incarnation or throughout it. Never known, not having the sense of the presence and the affection of the Father with him. Mm. Ever. Until now. And in fact, it is so grievous for him that God the Father sends him two guys to talk to him on the Mount of Transfiguration who've been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years. Who are totally aware of what he's going through and they're coming to say... Stay with this. We all depend on this. Mm. Mm. Hang in there. Do this. Because we're all in this with you. Mm. And he goes and sets his face toward Jerusalem, it says, right after that. And then he goes down into our darkness and he cries our cry. And then he makes the greatest statement of faith. I can't sense you. Can't feel you. I'm lost. And not just one person's darkness, but in the darkness of the whole cosmos that we have created and he says, but into your hands, I commit my spirit. Mm. I'm not letting this torture device take my breath. Mm. I'm giving it to you. Yeah. It's the last thing I have,
0: mm.
1: but I'm giving it to you. Yeah. If he for a second thought he was abandoned, that would, that conversation would have never happened. And Paul, the apostle comes by later in second Corinthians five. And he says, let me tell you where God, the father was when Jesus was on the cross for Papa. For God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. That's why there's nail scars. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that Jesus can participate in that doesn't fully affect and also include the participation of the Father and the Spirit. We have these old ancient icons in the Christian tradition, and some of the oldest have the Father and the Spirit nailed to the cross behind Jesus, but they're They're clasping him in their embrace so that he doesn't lapse into non-being. This is the beauty of a God who submits to destroy the religious indoctrination that we have brought to the table and think that we can utilize to find our way into the affection and the approval of a God who has never not loved us and who has never not been for us to the praise of his glory. Amen? Amen, Paul. um, We need we need weeks. We need weeks here, but uh, (laughs) that's why it's a fire hose, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. Like Uh, you you can can, clean up the mess later. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I forward all the emails to you. Uh, um, I'm only like thirty-five (laughs) hundred behind. So hey, could you could you talk for a minute? To men that are angry or hurting. Um, because to me, the, in the book, you know, I think at some point a lot of people resonate with the anger and this, isn't work, this wasn't supposed to happen this way in my life. Right. And there's anger. And uh, for the people that it hasn't worked the way they thought it was or it was supposed to work. That's
1: like pretty much all of us, right? Exactly. Yeah. So
0: three, I said said the men, I'm sorry, but I think it applies
1: to everybody, but the men, you know what I mean? It's there's a, Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Um, let me, let me just flip it back a little bit. Um, when I wrote Eve, I was trying to, trying to put into fiction, a story that would help us recalibrate our understanding of Genesis and that was accessible to a 15 year old. And and, and I put over 40 years of scholarship work into that book. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life is Eve, and um, and part of it was to answer. I always explore questions. Shack is about the goodness of God in the midst of tragedy, which is part of your question. Part of it is uh, uh, Crossroads was about how does grace or transformation get inside the world of someone who doesn't want it and has closed themselves off from relationship. Because I think relationship is the crucible for transformation. We were created in a community of oneness, and we're designed that way. Aloneness has nothing to do with the character and nature of God. It's not part of the imago Dei, the image of God in us. And in in Eve, I'm exploring the question, if men are so much more messed up than women, how come they're in charge? (laughs) Right? I'm, I'm serious. It's like we have closed the mouth of an entire half the human race who is a constant call back to our humanity. I'm going like, what happened? and in Genesis you see it happening and this goes right to your question because I think this is why it affects men in a way differently generally speaking and when you're talking about these things you're always making generalizations women can be beastly as well but let me tell you on balance they're way healthier than men I mean and so in the story you have two turnings you have a turning away from face to face to face relationship by Adam and that happens before she is even withdrawn. When you have the whole apple story thing, it's not really an apple, but the fruit thing, when you have, when you have that going on, he's already gone. And, and, it, and you don't think that he is. You think that he is just standing there silent because he is sort of confused about the whole deal. He's standing there silent because the serpent is speaking his accusation against the character of God. He's the one that brought the serpent in to speak his accusation against the character of God. And when God confronts him, he says, what did you do? He said, the woman you gave me, it's still the same accusation, right? He's gone. And she is actually brought out to call him back to his humanity and back to relationship. So his turning is gone. And one of the big myths about Genesis is that when, when you see the literature, the art or everything, you see Adam and Eve being escorted out of the garden... You see them escorted together he's got his arm over her their heads are down in shame which is always the posture of shame and then and then there's a big angel with a flaming sword and they're booted out right it's not the scripture you read Genesis chapter 3 twice it tells you that only he is escorted out of the garden she is not it's very clear and it reinforces it but in our mythology we don't see that so what happens here Through one man, sin enters the world. And it's like Job says, don't be like Adam who hid the iniquity in his heart. She transgressed. He transgressed. They both violated what God had said was the truth. But Adam has iniquity. And iniquity is the word in the Greek and the Hebrew for fist in the face, damn you God. Right? Adam is in that rebellion and he cannot remain inside this this place that represents wholeness with that in his heart and so he is escorted out so his turning is to one thing and the warning to her and there's such a bad translation in the English I apologize on behalf of who knows I know where it started too. it was in the middle ages with a monk named Pagnino who hated women and sex so but he said he translated the English uh, he translated into Latin that was then picked up in the English, was your desire will be for the man and he will rule over you, right? Well, it actually says you're turning. Teshuka means to turn. And uh, your turning will be for the man, to the man, and he will rule over you. And it's not saying that's a good thing. It's not prescriptive, right? It's descriptive. You turn to the man and he will rule over you. Right? So at some point, she has to follow Adam out because she's been given the seed of the promise of a redeemer that she cannot figure out how to accomplish that if Adam is not in her life. I mean, who could. Can you imagine that God could actually bring to being a full human being without the participation of a man? I mean, how bizarre is that? Oh, yeah. Mary. Oh, yeah. Oh, anyway. So. Uh, Seriously, and 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 John says he came he came into being uh, not in terms of being being, but uh, he was born not of the will of a man nor of the flesh of a man. And when it uses the word man there, it's not anthropos, which is the generic human being. It uses the specific aner, which means male. Jesus is not born from the flesh of a male. Right there, there is this break with the brokenness of Adam in Jesus that we are all included in Um, so going back his turning is not to a relationship his turning is to the ground and the and the works of his hands her turning is at least to a relationship but she was never meant to try to suck the life out of another human being to find identity worth value significance security meaning purpose destiny community and love and when she turns and demands that from the man, guess what? You trap any, anybody inside a set of expectations, the shame will come up and you will get fight or flight. And the history of men is fight or flight. They turned to look for identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny, community, and love in the ground and the works of their hands. Mm. That is very different. So for men, the call of return, which is the call of the gospel throughout um, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament, is to return back face-to-face to to God. For men, it's a two-part turning. Right? And so a lot of the things that you talked about, the sense of life has not worked out the way that it has, it's because you turned to the ground, and you thought the ground was going to give you identity and worth and value and significance and security and meaning and purpose return find those things in a face-to-face relationship with a God who actually loves you who knows you and knows how to co-create with you inside the grace of just one day learn how to trust because when men have turned from the ground finally some of them have a lot of times they end up using relationships like they use the ground they own possess take power over how many wars have started, been started by women? How many brothels exist on the planet for women? I mean, think about it. Women are in prison largely because of relationships. Men are there because of power and control and identity issues and all this other stuff. Do you understand how this whole thing just goes nuts? And the beauty is that you can actually have a marriage between a man and a woman, neither of them who are, have turned away or both who have returned, and they don't, she doesn't have to suck the life out of him or him out of her, but he also doesn't have to try to get it out of the ground and the works of his hands. Can you imagine? It feels so irresponsible. Well, let's not go there. But but it's like to trust God? What a novel idea, you know, to find my significance. When, when I got to the place, and I'm talking about a 50-year journey here for me, when I got to the place where I finally knew that my significance did not come from what I did I could do anything I could clean toilets and I can go back to cleaning toilets tomorrow I did it I was one of my jobs while I was writing the shack right so I can do that when when the year I wrote the shack I had two prayers left (laughs) yeah I had a whole bunch when I was growing up but I had two left and one of them was Papa, I don't want to be an old man one day looking back at my life and wondering, man, I wonder what it would have been like to take the risk of trust. I don't want to be that guy. And my second prayer is, I am never going to ask you again to bless anything that I do. Right? I've been trying to get God to follow me my whole life. And He does. He'll go with me. He just won't do anything. And so I have to do it all, and at the end of the day, I have to manipulate relationships and shade the truth and lie sometimes to get the kingdom work done. And uh, <laughs> and it's like that was it,
0: a joke, everybody. Like,
1: <laughs> a couple of slow people in the back. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I wish it was completely a joke. <laughs> and uh, and it was like but to be inside a relationship, you know, and so I'm never going to ask you again to bless anything that I do, but if you've got something you're blessing, and these were my words, and it would be okay for me to participate in that, I'd be all over it. Now, I don't care if I'm cleaning the toilets or shining the shoes or just holding the doors open for others. I just want to know at the end of the day, you did this, and I got to participate. And in retrospect, I think I... I hear the whisper, whisper of the Spirit say, Hey, Paul, you know, you're over here writing this story at the same time I'm saying these prayers, you know? You're over here writing this story for your kids. How about, how about if I bless that? You give it to your kids, and then I'll give it to mine. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So, so
0: the the old uh, the the old lie or the misconception besides the Gandalf is the genie right it's yeah, the magic wishes yeah bless me bless me you know follow me around and make the stuff that I'm doing better and uh, I will find my significance in all the things that you bless and
1: when that doesn't happen yeah. then our our perspective of God is blown yeah. apart if if you knew my whole story and some of you know a lot of it um, you know that that writing the shack and being involved in a movie and all this kind of stuff um, it is not because I lived a life that this is the reward for it is because God can climb into huge brokenness and nothing that is there's nothing so dead that he can't grow something alive in it or so broken he doesn't know how to heal it or so lost that he doesn't know where it is and 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 so I I am so grateful to be in this but I'm so glad that I get to do it as a child finally you know one of my great sadnesses is sexual abuse both in the tribal culture and in boarding school that I was sent away to missionary boarding school and so that brokenness I carried my whole life that shame and all of that and and I hurt people because I carried that poison around I did desperately I married a woman Kim who saved my life but paid a huge price for it and then she and I are the best we've ever been but this is an example of the kindness of God who climbs into our messes with us Mm -hmm. and begins to create something that is beautiful and right every day I think I hear God say Paul you know what are we going to go on our adventure which always includes me are we going to go on our adventure today or yours? Right? Because I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. But if we're on your adventure, I'll be right here. Give it your best shot. You know, I'm not doing anything. And it's like, all right, come on. I got this great idea, you know. And we, and we run <laughs> to it as fast as we can. And then we begin, instead of this relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we begin to look at this thing, this idea, this vision, this ministry, this whatever as something that will give us identity and worth and value and significance. And we look around and saying, God, why didn't you do this? Why, did, You know, how come this all went sideways? And we look back and God's back there talking to our children we ran past and to our spouse we ran past and to the woman with the issue of blood and to Jairus whose 12-year-old daughter has died. You know, this is about staying inside the grace of walking with God, abiding in in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, trusting that you were a very good creation before anything was broken. Hmm. And that good creation is the truth of your being. And as you begin to understand that, the way of your being will match it. And you suddenly will become whole. There's still finished work in all of us. Hmm. But our choice to participate in this, to face what's in front of us, to bring the community of people to stop lying, to start telling our secrets, to own our stuff. This is the way forward so that we can stop being stuck and we can become fully human and fully alive.
0: And in the the shack, the guy's pain, I think in, in the book it says it's
1: spilling out, right? It's his pain and it's spilling out into those that you love. Yeah, it's like unforgiveness. We carry this corpse around on our backs and it poisons everybody that we come into contact yeah. with yeah